Hello and welcome to the First Intuition Podcast. My name's David Malthouse and today I'm not joined by my usual co-host Ben Bullerman. I'm joined instead by my good friend and colleague Nick Craggs. Good evening, Nick. Uh, good evening, David. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. And we were just talking beforehand that it's been just over three years, nearly four years, since your first ever appearance and last appearance, I believe, on the First Intuition Podcast. Um, so over the last three years, I, I know you were appointed um, Accountancy Lecturer of the Year back then, but what's happened in the three years since? I've been very, very busy, as you can imagine. Um, since I mean, it was 2020 when we I was last on, we talked about the award. And since then, we've had all manner of things with regards to AAT and studying. We've had a change of syllabus with AAT. With AAT. We've got to make you 2016 to Q22. That's been exciting, is one way of putting it. It's kept us on our toes. Um, we've launched lots of new courses. We've got, um, we have lots of new students. And we've had lots of students who've passed exams and gone on and had a fantastic career, which is ultimately what it's all about. Absolutely. So we've had this change in syllabus for um, the, the AAT exams. Um, how has that gone? Because I, I, I've seen it from my perspective where we we have, we teach some AAT students and we teach them in the classroom. And in the classroom, we kind of shepherd people towards certain kind of off ramps on an old syllabus, then onto the new syllabus. But it, it must be a huge undertaking because you've got literally thousands of students that are studying by your distance learning program. Um, have they all successfully moved onto the new syllabus or, or are there any kind of hiccups there? And that's a really good question because with distance learning, we do literally have thousands and around, around about 5,000 students. And with classroom courses, it's very much these courses are going to be AQ16 or this course is going to be Q22 and you just move over. Whereas with distance learning, it's a lot more flexible and students study at their own pace. So we've had students who've taken a lot longer who are not going to complete all their studies on AQ16 and we've got those that started brand new on Q22. So we've had to come up with individual plans for students as to when it was the right time for them to move over because the rules from to move over from AQ16 to Q22 have been a lot more complicated than they have been in previous years. Previously, it's this exam got your exemption from this exam, whereas now was, there's combinations. So you had to have that exam and that exam to get the exemption off. Because if you didn't, the first exam you passed, you'd effectively lose. So we've had to sit down with pretty much every single student. It's taken us an awful lot of time to sit down and say, well, you've got that exam, so don't worry about the rest you've got to pass this other one or you will effectively lose your pass. So we've been moving students over since day one, which was 1st of September, 2022. And we've been doing it for the, well, the 13 months to the end of September, 2023, which is when AQ16 finished. And we, we've moved, well, everyone has had to move over because AQ16 is finished, but it's been really good actually in terms of getting people over at the right time we didn't have that much of a rush at the end of September of people trying to finish off. It was relatively calm in terms of everyone knew what they need to do, by when, and now we've got everyone moved over into Q22. And it's a lot more straightforward. Everyone's on one standard, on one syllabus, and everyone knows what they're doing. It, it, was, a, it was an interesting time. It was a challenging time. I don't miss it, if I'm honest. Um, it, it's done, it's dusted. I think it all went really well. Um, but 
I'm looking for a little bit of calm the next couple of years. Yeah, it's, and it will only be a few years until we start talking about the next syllabus coming in. And hopefully it won't be the same kind of upheaval as we saw this time. Yeah, I've, I mean, without showing my age, I've been through many syllabus changes. And this has been the most drastic one that in terms of structurally changing content, it's changed. Um, that being said, I'm a big fan of the new syllabus. I, I think there's so much great content in there. And one of my biggest favorites is the business awareness paper at level three. And not because someone at FI is the chief examiner of that one, but I just think it's it is really useful. It's it's the sort of stuff that I think not just accountants should know, as we've seen recently, things like inflation, interest rates, that's the sort of thing that affects people in their day-to-day life. So I think that is a is a great unit. Um I, I think the business environment paper at level two is really so that sets them up. I, unlike some uh teachers are not crying over the using how it's software exam going i think that has now gone the ability to put 60 invoices per hour onto sage is not a skill anymore it all comes through on bank feeds from zero and things like that so it's a lot more platform agnostic um i just i just think it's a really good syllabus i, I like the new internal account systems controls unit i think that's a lot more interesting in terms of what we're looking for and asking students to do pestle analysis I, I i love a bit of pestle analysis i'm sure you do as well dave everyone loves pestle it's a it's a great great model absolutely it's, it's one of those things that when when you're studying it what one of the the great things i think you can do is just apply the analysis to any business you see so right i'm going into tesco's today Right, can I apply that analysis to Tesco? So I, I remember when I was studying for my strategic papers, it was Porter's Five Forces and the SWOT analysis. And every time I went into a shop, it was right, I'm going to do a SWOT analysis here. I'm going to do Porter's Five Forces analysis here. So I was always doing it. Um, and, and that, that you know, just made the whole thing sink in really well. Yeah, I mean, when I taught, I taught business awareness in early September 2022, because lots of people moved over specifically to sit that one unit to avoid the advanced synoptic uh, unit at level three. And every day I was pulling in real world examples from the news because it's so relatable to what was going on. It's such a, you know, a great update to the qualification. Um, but yeah, I, I would like a year or two before the next one. Um, and like, let's forget, we normally went from, it was AQ 2010, then it was 2013, then it was 2016. And this one went from 16 to 2022. So it was a large uh, jump, so it was a big update. I also, because we have someone seeking tax processes soon, I like that because it brings in a little bit of payroll. I think most people are employed; they should know what a P sixty is. They should know what a P eleven D is because it, again, it affects everyone. And those kind of things are things that should be taught at school. You should know what documentation you need to get, what it shows, because that there are circumstances where you need to show them to people. Um, you, know, you may need to show them if you are trying to get a mortgage um, or it might just be the case that you actually have to do a tax return um, or you might get sent one of those calculations from the revenue that say, oh, you owe us some extra tax and you need to verify that back to those, those details. Something you said about insu- about inflation and interest rates. We've recently had two podcasts, one on imp- interest rates, one on inflation. But I, I, I've had probably more people contact me about the inflation one than I have any other podcast, um, particularly after the inflation figures were were released a couple of weeks ago where it was um 
uh, I successfully predicted that the inflation figures would drop below 5%, uh, much to lots of people um, disagreeing. But I simply looked at what we would call the time series of the index numbers and how they changed over the last 12 months. And there was a massive change back last October that dropped out of the index. Um, and, you know, I, I can give another prediction to you, Nick. I foresee in February next year, inflation is going to go up. Okay, And the reason for that is last February, there was a drop in the index. And if that's not repeated, you're going to see inflation going up slightly in about February next year. And then it's going to go down again afterwards because we had some really high inflation figures in the beginning part of this year. So it's just being able to understand those things and understand how the indexes work, give you a far better understanding of what you're being told in the news. Because quite often when I read news stories, particularly about inflation, I can see factual in inaccuracies all the way through it, where whoever's written it clearly doesn't understand what inflation is and clearly doesn't understand how it's calculated. And they've written something they've probably copied from somewhere else or got from chat GPT or something like that. And they don't actually understand what the underlying figures are showing them. Yeah, I totally agree. And there's lots of people that see there that inflation's falling and they think, oh, it's great. But prices are still going up when inflation is, uh, is still there. Um, and I think it's pretty far from people's minds when, when inflation was was minimal it, people didn't really think about it but when you start seeing you know, double digit inflation it really starts pinching on people's lives like you know, the cost of energy and things like that the, the cost of bread my, my children used to love four sausage rolls for a pound and now it's 21 pound 25 so that is 25 percent rise which mm -hmm. they weren't particularly interested in numbers about it but it, it does affect so many people and it, it is a real world subject that i think not just accountants people everyone should know about i think we're quite We've been quite lucky over the past what, 15 years or so to have very, very low interest rates and very low rates of inflation. And so as a result, neither of those two things really impacted us that much. But we've seen both of those things skyrocket over the last 18 months or so. And both of them are causing us personal pressure, but also in a business sense, you know, interest rates, it, it may well be business loans are, are now four times more expensive than they were before, which causes us you know, big issues if we're looking to invest. Anyway, Nick, we've got a topic for today. I've brought you on specially for it. Um, in my world, um, which is classroom teaching, we have got two big exam weeks coming up in, in the next fortnight. We have ACCA exam, um, December exams. We have ICAW December exams. We also have a large number of AAT classes that are finishing or have just finished. And we've got loads of students booked in to take their exams in the first two weeks of December. And uh, I think it's the case a lot of the AAT students that, that we teach, they all want to get exams finished before they kind of finish, I was going to say finish school, finish work for the festive periods, and then they can relax and unwind a little bit because they know they've got their exams out of the way. Is, is that a similar pattern that you see with your kind of distance learning students? That's exactly right. I've been speaking to a fair few of my tutors this morning and they are definitely feeling a bit of a spike. Even for those students whose exams are on demand, they can sit at any time of the year. They definitely feel that um, there's more mocks flying around. There's more people wanting to get their exams finished off for a variety of reasons. We've got live classes, much like yourself, that are ending this week. We've got, we generally, although our courses can be started every day of the year, we do have a large intake in September which naturally means by the time people come around to sit the likes of, of FAPS or AMAC, it's this time of year that they naturally would come to sit it. And much like yourself, a lot of my distance learning students, 
Not one mind a little bit perhaps older. Most of them are in their thirties, and they want to spend time with the children, and things like. So they want the exams over with, uh, have enjoyed Christmas, which only comes once a year, and then you know in the new year come back, re-energized, refreshed, and ready to take on their next unit. Excellent. So I think most of the student body out there that are studying towards accountancy exams are going to be having exams happening over the next three to four weeks. So. I want to look at three things for those students that are planning to sit exams within the next two to four weeks. So uh, the three things I want to look at are what are effective study techniques? So what are the things that we should be doing as students to prepare for those exams? I want to talk a little bit about time management, how best to use our time with the two to three to four weeks that we have left before the exams. And then finally, and I, I'll probably say most importantly, how can we manage our stress levels? over that three to four week period as we build up to, to the exams towards the end of the year. So first of all, Nick, you've got thousands of students that are currently getting ready for exams over the next three to four weeks. Um, what are the study techniques that you're advising that they use in this period, kind of two, three, four weeks before an exam? Well, the first thing I was going to say is, is everyone studies differently. So I've got some things I think fantastic, and um, but some people like to do different things. Some people, for example, some people sit and highlight their book from one page to another, so it makes it psychedelic. Some people like that sort of thing. I just don't see the how that benefits me. But if that works for you, that's works for you. But I have a very simple mantra in terms of preparing for your exam. You need to be doing exam standard questions. You need to be doing mock exams. I see such a strong link between students who do exams, uh, sorry, do mock exams, but and then do well in the exam. And there's a, I think there's a stronger link, and it's not, and I've researched this, there's a strong link between doing a mock and passing the exam than actually if you pass that mock or not. So I'll see students who perhaps get low 60s in their mock, they will still go on to do really well in that um real exam versus those who don't do a mock i one of our cohorts i looked at those who passed the exam we have two tutor mark mocks and of the cohort of all those who passed they did an average 1.7 mocks of those who didn't pass it was something like 0.23 mocks out of two yeah there was it was remarkable the link between the mark of getting into your mock it wasn't all that relevant it was the number of mocks that you did and i can't stress how much Exam standard questions um, lead to exam success. And the other thing I would say, though, is we, we, we're both keen rather than successful runners, should we say, <laughs> do it properly. So if you were training for a marathon, you wouldn't do a few 5Ks and think, I'll do it properly on exam day because that's not going to end well for you. If you've got a 40-minute question, do it to 40 minutes. Don't be doing, uh, you know, dipping out 20 minutes here or... I'll give myself an extra five minutes because someone knocks on the door. Get your head down, do it properly. And then when it comes to the actual a big day, all you're doing is repeating what you've already done rather than saying, well, it's it's the real day. So I'll write in full sentences. I'll not use um, uh, bullet points. Um, I cannot stress it enough. Do exam type questions. Do it to time because you're going to have to do it to time on the real day. You're not going to get five, six hours spread out with a couple of breaks in, you're going to have to do it. And also, it's not just mentally prepares you. Some of these exams are quite 
physically draining. Applied management accounting is a three-hour exam. It is quite hard to sit there and work solidly for three hours. When I did ICAW case study, that is a four-hour exam. That and it, and that, those four hours fly. They absolutely fly. But you come out of that, you're not just mentally drained. It's physics. So if you've done that before, you are prepared for it. Um, sitting there reading your book and just thinking it's going in is is not how it works. Absolutely. Well, I I've I've done similar research to you, Nick. I, I've looked at our own results. And I talked about this a few weeks ago. We looked at the pass rates for our ICAW exams and our ICAW students will get four exams in total to do in the lead up to their exams. And it people that got, people that did four mocks had a pass rate, an average pass rate of kind of the high 90s. Three mocks, it dropped down a bit. Two mocks, it dropped down a little bit lower than that. And you could just see a clear correlation between the number of mock exams completed and the pass rate of the groups that had done that number of mocks. When I did exactly the same analysis, when I looked, instead of the number of mocks, the average mark that people got in their mocks and whether they passed or failed or not, we actually found that there wasn't a relationship it was really bizarre. So we had some people that got that average, a really high mark, but didn't actually get particularly good pass rates in that group. It was really, really odd. So when we looked at people that got kind of got, and this is for ICW exams where the pass marks were what, 55%. When we had people that got over 70% in their mock exams, they actually had a worse pass rate than people that got between 60 and 70%. And I think between 50 and 60 had the highest pass rates. And then even kind of 40 and 50% had a higher pass rate than those people that got the really, really high marks. So there was no real correlation at all about the actual mark. It's all about the act of doing the work and, and doing as many mocks as possible. And I, 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 always use that analogy of running um you know you, you wouldn't if you were training to run a marathon your preparation to run a marathon wouldn't be reading and highlighting a book about running because that doesn't get you ready you know there is a place for that if you've never run before and you want to know about training plans and nutrition and race strategy and training strategy read books highlight stuff but you build a training plan and your training plan is usually based around actually running and, you know, as you said earlier, no one has ever successfully ran a good time in a marathon without spending marathon time on their feet. You know, if you know you're going to run a marathon in, you know, you're aiming for four hour, a four hour marathon, you need to make sure that you've been on your feet for four hours and you know what happens to your body three and a half hours in. Because if you don't, you don't want to find out in the day and it's something that doesn't work for you. So I 100% I agree. It should be all about exam question practice and I, I would say even if you don't feel that you know the syllabus that well if you feel that you haven't studied the syllabus as much as you should still do the question practice and then when you're self-marking or self-reviewing that's the point that you're then looking at your notes to say how am I going to get two three extra marks next time um is that something that you tend to look at so you know if I'm doing all this question practice at home how's the the best way to get feedback on the work I'm doing I mean, we we encourage students to uh, ask their tutor for feedback, and generally with the written questions, we tend to find that students do some good work, but with a few little tweaks, you ch change what is a pretty good answer into a very good answer with just a few little changes. And so I, I think getting tutor feedback is real, but I do really like the idea of self-marking as well, because it's, it, it gets you not just a mark, but also it gets you in 
the mind of the examiner and what would they be looking for? Because you've got to remember that the examiners have a strict mark scheme. And if you write something very good you, and you just think, yeah, that was a great answer. It's not until you, you mark it yourself and think it's a great answer for a different question. And you need to be going through and say, I wrote something really amazing, but it didn't answer the question. It's not, it's literally not going to get me any marks. And you've got to be running through. And what is great about that is doing the rocks and doing exam time questions. Like you said, when you you feel you don't know the entire source, it highlights what you do know and what you don't know. So you're not spending time uh, revising the things that you already know. And it is quite tempting to focus on the stuff you're good at because it's easy, you get a bit of a confidence boost, but that's not the way you should be spending your time. So the actual marking of doing of a mock is, is fantastic, but also you've got to be looking at the other end of it, what comes out and being quite critical and saying, you know, I know what I meant to write, but what is on paper? And you're looking at the mark scheme and it depends on the qualification. So AAT have the sample assessment of mark scheme. So it's not just model answers, but also what are they, the examiner looking for? And the other thing is, is being quite critical with the mark scheme. So if it's got two marks, you're only going to get two marks and frame your answer around that. And it make sure that, because the mark scheme is quite strict in terms of, if you've got something really, really good, you've taken half an hour, but if there's only four marks available, you are still only going to get four marks. And if you total it up, you think, actually, I spent, I put a great answer for task one and two. And then by the time I come to five, six and seven, I was barely getting one out of three marks. And you think, well, that's not really what we're here for. We're here to pass the exam, not turning the perfect task one and two. You've got to look at it as a whole piece of work. And would that whole piece of work got the 50, 55 or 70 percent that you would need? I agree. It's it's and so many students and I was probably guilty of this as well, will go to the questions that they're familiar with or the questions that they know they're strong at because it will be they'll almost tell themselves. And I used to tell myself that you know it will build my confidence and I'll feel more confidence, whereas the reality is you need to do the hard stuff. You need to do the stuff you're not good at. And I know Kelly, who's been on the podcast a few times, has, has talked in the past about how your your brain has got a mechanism for stopping you doing uncomfortable things. It will make you not want to do that uncomfortable thing. So if anyone has ever decided they're going to start running, having not run or done any exercise for six months, you run for half a mile and your body is telling you to stop. And you can sometimes be physically ill and sick and be throwing up all over the place because your body is saying, I'm uncomfortable with this. I don't know how to do it. I don't know why you're doing it. Please stop. And it does the same things with studying. So we, we need to make sure that we kind of are able to be aware of that and, and then push through it. Otherwise, you're you're never going to master those things that you need to and the other questions in the exam. You're exactly right. The, the, the one exam I failed um, was... I think it was called business strategy then. Is it business strategy and technology now? Am I right? Yeah. It's if one, well, in those days, you didn't get your calculator out for it. It was just writing for hours upon end. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. So I didn't, I sit there and just, I made the odd no. I didn't do my, my exam questions properly. And I failed that one. Whereas tax, I did exam questions all day every day because I love banging out tax computations and I did well in that so I failed that one because I just didn't enjoy it I didn't do it properly and I really avoided doing what I deep down knew what I needed to do so our, our number one tip for effective study techniques is 
question practice, making sure that we are practicing things that we're not good at, making sure that we're marking, we're evaluating where we can correct and look at. I, I always talk about the, I call it a two mark rule. Every time you mark a question, you should be able to highlight where you would get two extra marks next time. So if you've done a 20 mark question, you've got five out of 20. Next time you attempt a similar question, you're not going to go from five out of 20 to 20 out of 20, but you can go from five to seven. And then when you do that question and get seven, you can go from seven to nine. And that's how you build really good marks by those little improvements. So if you've done a big question and you've got a really small mark on it and you're not happy with it, don't think I'm going to turn this around overnight. Just think next time, this is how I get two extra marks. And two extra marks should be much, much easier to achieve than 15 extra marks. Yeah. And focus on the, the pass mark. You know, you're not going to get 100% in these exams. They're, they're tough exams. But you need to be looking for all these extra little marks here, there and everywhere. And all these marginal gains do add up and make the world of a difference. Excellent. Right. We've we've got, what, three weeks left, four weeks left until the last exam will be sat of the year. Um, how should we go about managing our time? So most of our students, they work full time. Some of them work part time. People might have families. How, how do we manage the time that we have left? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. And everyone is different. And I'll get people going to me, go, well, I've got children, or I've got a job commitments. And I would say to them, I haven't got a single student that can study nine to five like it's their job. Everyone has different commitments, whether it is family, where it is work, whether it's health issues. Like it, it is hard work fitting to your studies around your life. But one of the things that he says is, You've only got so much time, so don't beat yourself up about how much time you've got. You want to get the most out of the time that you've got. You've not, no one has as much time as they would like, whether it's for studies or anything, really. You've got a finite amount of time and you want to get as much bang for your buck from what you've got. So one of the things I always sort of focused on is if you've only got some number of hours per day, you want to get the most from them. So when are you most productive? So if you're a morning person, I, I'm a morning person, I get up, get it done and get it out of my life. And then it's not hanging over me. So if you work really productively on the morning, do an hour in the morning is better than doing an hour on an evening. So if, if you're not an evening person, an hour on an evening, you're tired, you're hungry, maybe you're not feeling it. You may as well not bother. Get up earlier, do an hour when you're fresh, energized, you want to get over and done with. Do it like if you are, if you are an evening person, person some people are night owls that's great um i've not done any research but anecdotally the mocks that come in at 2 a.m probably not as good as the ones that are done <laughs> during daylight uh but i do see them so you want to make the most of the time when you are um going to get the most from it the other thing is and again everyone's different but i'm a big fan of little and often keeping your hand in doing a little bit every single day i think if you do an hour Monday to Friday, you'll get more out of that than a five-hour session on a Sunday afternoon. I often question how long, how productive are those last couple of hours, really? And you could take breaks. The time you've got, you want to be fresh, you want to be energised. Because in the exam, you are going to be energised because you've got the adrenaline going. You, you don't have to worry about you know your mind wandering and falling asleep because these are professional exams that mean a lot. Um, so I... I for little and often and it keeps it ticking over rather than you doing it and then you go a whole week without looking at it and then another five hours on a Sunday um, and break it down and it also makes it not quite so daunting thing. 
I've got 45 minutes, get this one exam question done. I feel good about myself and that's me for the evening and then do it tomorrow night rather than thinking, I've got to sit down five hours, I've got two mocks to do. And there that becomes a lot easier to put off. As like you say, Dave, if you don't want to do it, it becomes easier to say, I've got an excuse or there's a reason why I can't. Yeah, I mean, right now, you've got two weeks to the exam. You can build a really intensive study plan based on the time that you have left. It's not something that I would advise three months before an exam. If you start using every single waking moment to study three months before an exam, you will give up after a month because you will have removed everything that's fun from your life. Right now, I think for two weeks, you can put in a really good burst of intensive study. So I'd almost give the opposite advice to the advice I'd normally give about coming up with a study plan. You're planning for an exam right now. These exams are tough. Um, you need to make sure you allocate the right amount of time. I love what you said about morning versus evening. I'm very much a morning person. I'd much rather get up early in the morning and do two hours work than you know do two hours late at night. I'd much rather be in bed. Um, I've seen people use kind of break times and lunch times at work. So I had one student who would get up in the morning and she would do an exam standard question. So about an hour long for a long ACCA question. She'd do that before she left for work. She would then take it to work with her. She would take a break in the morning over a cup of coffee. She'd mark it. Now, I really like that idea because it, that that gap of time from doing the exam to marking it means that you might have thought forgotten a little bit about your thought process. So you're actually marking something a little bit fresh to it. So it's like, well, I don't, I don't really understand what I meant there rather than, oh, yeah, I get that because I just wrote it. Then she would do a question at lunchtime. And then in the evening, she'd get home from work and then she would mark that question and then do any work that she needed to link to it. But she'd be finished kind of after about 45 minutes in the evening. And then she wouldn't do anything for the rest of the day because she banked her study by doing those two questions earlier in the day. So, yeah, I think you're right. Use your time in a smart fashion. Um if you don't work well in evenings, don't do stuff in evenings. Weekends, I always think that if you've got a free Saturday or a free Sunday, that's an absolute godsend. My advice is to split it into four study sessions. And then the first thing you do is you decide which of those four study sessions you're not going to study in. Because doing a block of study, break for half an hour, block of study, break, block of study, break, block of study. If you do four of those in a row, you will not be focused on the fourth one. You will just be dead to the world. So take one of those four and say, actually, I'm going to do something different in that study block. I'm going to do something. We'll talk about the things that we might want to do a little bit later on. Um, I know some people take days off kind of in the lead up to exams. If you've got the luxury of being able to get study leave from work or if you've got the luxury of having enough holiday to be able to book a day's holiday, that's great. But again, I would make sure you give yourself time to not study as well as to study. So I think that's really important as well. Um, but right now, it should be the most intensively that you've studied. It's, yeah, all builds up to this. It shouldn't be dying away at this point. Yeah, I, um, I did my AAT, then I did ICAW, and then I felt that uh, some of my tax knowledge wasn't as up-to-date as it was when I stood out So I did ATT for, back in those days, a little bit of fun. Um, and there was a little pressure because these exams that... I should be able to pass. And there wasn't a way about you, you, you. I wrote off the two weekends before the exam because I, I wouldn't be able to go out for four or five hours, watch the football or anything like that. You know, it's a professional exam. You've got to work for these things. Um, 
But so I did exam question. You, you, but you still got a couple of weeks. Yeah, don't you think that you've got no time? But you you do have to put it in um, and just getting as much out of the time you've got. The other thing I would say is the night before the exam. I I have never been one of these people who could say I've studied enough. I'm going to stop now because I'm not going to pass it. I've always felt that I, I should be doing more. But I I've always had mantra that the night before the exam. That's not for studying, really. Um, I mean, I've often like had looked at my notes and things like that. But once it gets to the evening before, you don't want to be doing exam standard questions. You, 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 an hour studying, I don't think is as productive as an early night. Get ready for it. Get because you don't want to be. I've been there. I used to do my exams in Leeds and drive all the way there. You don't want to turn up late, flustered, um, stressed. Not this time of year, but you. You're, you're hot and sweaty. You want to go in a calm frame of mind and just during that early night, get in there. That that you know, you've done your studying by that point, um, and just turn up that point. There, it's more the frame of mind than what's in your mind. Absolutely, it's as we've said before. You know, if you're running a marathon the night before running a marathon, you wouldn't think, "Oh, I'll go out for a quick 10k tonight just to you know to make sure that I'm okay at running." It's like that night you rest. You know, I think famously um, Usain Bolt um, before every 100 metres kind of competition that he went into in the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games, things like that. I think he sat in his hotel room and ate chicken nuggets and he told everyone he had chicken nuggets before because up until that point, he prepared. He was really, really well prepared. His diet was on point. He got a nutritionist that worked exactly what he should be eating. And it was the only time that he could just relax. And that's what he did to relax is he had a chicken nugget meal, had an early night, slept, and then woke up the next morning and broke world records. Um, so it's, it, 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 you, I, if I think of anything, that if you've rehearsed and practiced for something, and you're going to do that thing, whether it's an academic exam, whether it's you know playing football, whether it's running, whether it's you know doing absolutely anything. The night before you're going to do that thing, you wouldn't practice it. You know you would rest. You'd make sure you're in the right mindset. You'd make sure that you're you know well hydrated, that you've eaten properly, that you've got the energy that you need. And and I th- always think it's crazy that people do the opposite of what they do in all other circumstances the day before an exam. You know, your brain is a muscle like any other muscle. It needs to rest and be ready. Yeah. But then conversely, on the morning of exams, I would be, I'd get my notes condensed down to literally one bit of A4, both sides. I'd be reading my notes until they said, come into the exam room, and then I'd throw it in the bin. Um, So the morning exam, because I wanted to get there early, and I'm like, well, you're kicking your heels a little bit. I'd just sit and study that one bit of A4 uh, Mm. just to, get the, the um, you know thoughts flowing yep. um, and you've got the energy you've got the uh, adrenaline going on the morning whereas the night before you don't want that you just want a nice sleep you don't don't even think about it you want to be thinking of you know, after the exam you know, reward yourself um, and worry about that down the line mm. excellent finally exams are stressful um i know students right now are feeling a lot of stress um what can we do? What how, how can we manage that? Is it normal to be stressed right now, do you think? It's a good thing to be stressed to a degree because if you weren't stressed, it, you just don't care. And, you know, this is a qualification that could change your life. And there's so many people out there whose lives are better by saying, I did this accounting qualification, improved my life, improved my family's life. So, and, you know, so 
feeling a bit of pressure is a good thing. It's because you, you're doing a qualification that's worthwhile, it's respected, it's going to gain you, uh, you know, future benefits. And because you, you want to do well for yourself. So a little bit of pressure is normal and also good, but not to the point that it starts to have a, a detrimental impact in it. Um, stress, the, the few things I've always thought is stress is, one thing to sort of relieve about the stress is, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to, the worst that is you're going to fail exam. It's not nice to hear. You get that result and it's not what you want. You're going to have to do it again. You're going to have to study again, but it's not the end of the world. Really, it, it's it's trying to make it, it's not the be all and end all. There's very few people who go through their entire cancer studies who don't fail an exam and still they will qualify. I failed an exam before. I still qualified to get out there. So don't put so much pressure on it. It's the be all and end all of everything. The other thing is, is remember, these exams are not impossible. Lots of people, some exams, and without, I can pick on it because it's not now there, but there's some of the synopsis exams in AAT, they used to have this stigma and they were not impossible. If you were well prepared, you um, should have every confidence in doing well. And the other thing is, is look back actually how far you've come, you are a good student. So if you're on, you know, halfway through ACCA, you must have passed some tre- testing exams before. You are a capable student. So don't think that this one is going to be your nemesis. You know, it's, it's you, you, you've, you've done this before. You've passed exams before. It, it's, it's normal. You're feeling a bit of pressure, but you will come out of this the other side. And the other thing is, is, well, I mentioned before about have a, like a, a reward at the end of it. And for whatever reason, I used to have a Snickers. I don't really like Snickers, but that used to be my routine because I, I don't know, it's nuts and chocolate, but that would be the energy of, you know, get you through the exam. That's what I'm going to do. And what I weirdly used to really look forward to when I study is that feeling when you come out of the exam, whether you think, oh, it's great to pass, whether you think you've done well or whatever, it, it's over. And it's just that whole culmination of, hard work stress all the thing you've done and then it's all been released and most ex- i mean a lot of times you won't get results straight away for and that point blank it out of your mind and i always look forward to that feeling and either way i, I would re- reward myself that uh that that night and also stress, stress is motivating it's the you know i want to do it i want to do it uh, and remember why you want to do it now you're not doing it for a bit of paper on the wall, you're doing it to further your career, to benefit your life and your family's life. When when I, when I studied AAT, it was just because it seemed like a sensible thing to do and it made my mum happy. Um, and then halfway through my charter exams, we had our first child and that put it into perspective that this is the reason why I'm doing this, is to get better their lives. And it really made me realise that yeah, this is a great qualification. This is going to give me, hopefully, the rewards of the studying. And um, it didn't really add any more stress. There was no pressure. It just motivated you to do it. And just think of the bigger picture as to what you're doing. And one of the things, I, when I worked in practice, I had a little pin board in front of me, and I had this syllabus um, out, uh, printed out. And after every exam, I ticked one off. And at first... You know, the first couple of um, exam sessions are only one or two, and then actually you keep chipping away, chipping away, and you actually I'm more than halfway there, I'm three quarters away, I'm a couple of exams left, and it's it's 
that shows you that journey that you can do it. You have passed exams and you know you you are nearly there. And it's just a journey you're going through. I, I love that. Um I often do the what if, what if, what if, and kind of if you're worried or concerned about something, well, what's the worst that can happen? And if that happens, what's the worst that can happen? And, and generally you end up with, yeah, I need to retake an exam. And that, that's, or, you know, I, I might be a bit embarrassed when I tell my mum and it's like, but will your mum still love you? Yes. You know, will, will she encourage you and help you to get through the examiner reset? Yes, she will. So it'll be a tiny bit of embarrassment when you tell your mum, but after that, she's going to look after you and make sure that you're okay and be rooting for you. And she's still going to you know, be the same person, have the same relationship afterwards. So it doesn't really matter that much, but we build it up to be much worse. Um, I, I was just thinking, as you talked about, I um, had a, a recurring dream before exams. Um, and the the recurring dream that I had before exams was that I would, in my dream, be at the exam desk and I would look at the exam paper and the exam paper would be in a foreign language. And I would kind of like turn the paper over and go, I don't, I can't read it. It's in a foreign language. And then I would look across at other people and they were all getting on with the exam. And then I'd look back again and suddenly I'd be naked at the desk. And that was the dream that I had. And I found out that every time I had that dream, I passed the exam. Every time I didn't have that dream, I wouldn't pass an exam. And when I spoke to people about it that know more about things than I do, so people that know about psychology and things, they first they said, that's a stress dream. You're stressed. And I said, well, why do I you know, not have that dream when you know, I'm unsuccessful in exams? It seems to be it's my lucky dream. And they said that the reason for it is that when you are working hard for an exam and you really want to pass that exam and you're putting the hours in, when you go to sleep, your brain doesn't switch off. It keeps on processing that and your brain is processing it with that dream. If you don't care and you haven't put the work in, then you're not feeling that, you know, you're not going to bed thinking about the dream and you don't have the dream and then you're unsuccessful in the exam. So I think you're right that the stress comes because you care, because you really want it. You don't feel stressed if you don't care. And I imagine we all know someone that has maybe studied towards an exam that it's not really for them. They don't really care. They're maybe going through the motions because they have to at work and they seem absolutely carefree. And you think, well, how can they be like that? And I'm so stressed because you care about your exams and you care about the outcome. Maybe that other person doesn't. So I think you're right. Stress can sometimes be an indicator that we care about something that's very important to us. Um, are there any things that you would recommend that people could do to help de-stress you know when they're feeling those feelings of stress to help them to you know keep their focus and and maintain those levels of study i mean take your break just take your mind off it and realize there is a world out there other than exams um i know we mentioned a lot but exercise you know endorphins get them flowing and that just changes everything um yeah, we're not exercising for everyone, for people like painting, for people like cooking. Um, whatever you flourish about, just even an hour of it on an evening, just focus on that there is a, a life that after the exam day, life will go on. You know, don't think it's the be all and end all. And you know, and whilst it, it should be the most important thing to you in the next couple of weeks, uh, well, children aside, um, 
after that, it, it will go, you'll get your result and you'll move on. And I tend to find that in life, the highs are never as high as you think and the lows are never as low. As you think. Nothing's as bad as you initially think. You know, when you think, oh, I'm, I'm not going to pass, you are better than you think. Um, anyway, if you get the result that you d- weren't expecting, it's not as bad as you think. You know, I often, if a student rings me up and said they failed the exam, a, a night's sleep, the next day, they are a different person. They're fired up, they're motivated, they're going to do it again. On that day, it does seem like, you know, the world's been pulled out from underneath you, but I promise you, it hasn't. Um, it's nothing to get upset about. Um, and just, like I say, don't worry about it. it, it, it you, you're not a doctor, you're not a surgeon, no one's going to die. Mm. I, I like we said there about taking a break. Um, I, I think absolutely right. Um you know, we mentioned it when you look at time planning, make sure you plan for one of those slots on a free day to be a slot where you don't study. Um, you know, I, I think some people use things like music as well. So it's just, you know, go away, listen to music, crank it up really loud and shout instead of singing. And also that was what I tend to do because I can't sing for toffee. Um, I like we talk about with cooking. I know you're a you're a great cook yourself. Um, but it's it's something that that I you know quite enjoy going away, just being with myself with a load of ingredients, cooking a meal for the rest of the family, making something a bit special. Um, it always tends to be something that takes my mind off everything else that I'm doing, especially when you've got three things cooking at the same time and you're managing the timing and all that kind of stuff. Although you know you kind of feel oh that's extra stress, just removes you from that study. You can't focus on your study because you're doing those other things. You know, obviously we, you know, we both will go out for a run. It's a great way to clear your mind because when you are running and you're feeling physically exhausted, you don't really have the con have the ability to to think about your exams and studying and the question that you've just done. Exactly. And it's it, like you say, the different muscles. So whilst you're running, some of your muscles are shouting here for you to stop, but your your brain isn't. And it gives that that piece. Because even if you Sometimes you, you walk away from your studies, you could be thinking about it and it can be bothering you. And it's not really being productive, just worried about it and stressing over it and thinking about it. You need to really take your mind off onto something else that you're passionate about. I mean, you can't see passion. If you're passionate about your studies, you're passionate about the vocation, that is a fantastic thing. And that's a good thing because you can teach someone to do a job, but you can't teach someone to be passionate. Um, so be passionate about counselling, but then find something else that you're passionate about as well, that will really engage you, take grab your attention and focus it on that. And then when you come back to counselling, it's all fresh uh, to you. I, I love that, Nick. And we are reaching that time where we have to say goodbye to people. But I, I love the fact that, you know, you talk about find, you know, have that passion for accountancy, which I hope people listening to really do have that passion because if you do have that kind of fire in your belly about the, the idea of, of accountancy and how... You know how it can help to change businesses, how it can help to change, you know, the way that your not-for-profits running or how, you know, your sports clubs operating. So many different ways that we can apply that passion that I think is phenomenal. But I do think you're right; it is good to have something else in your life that you can kind of use as a counterbalance, and that will really help you in times like this where we're preparing for our exams. So I, I'd like to thank you, Nick. Um, you'll be more than welcome to come along to the podcast anytime you're free on a Wednesday. So it's been great to have you here. Um, wonderful, wonderful come along. Let's not leave it three years again. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the FI podcast with your hosts, Ben and Dave. 
As always, you can head over to the show notes where you can find the links and resources spoken about in today's episode. Please remember to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode and leave a rating and review.